0: Hello. Um, hi, this is my first ever podcast. Um, basically uh, I am taking a lot of inspiration from my favorite product, my favorite podcast person, everything goes. Um she goes by Emma Chamberlain. Um I love how she does her podcast. So if this is like a very like quiet type of like kind of just vibe talking with one another, that is definitely because she's I personally take a lot of inspiration from her. She's personally one of my favorite podcast YouTubers ever. But basically, I'm going to be going over film photography today. Um, <laughs> I'm a really big film enthusiast. I've always been a film enthusiast, I think. Um, I'm like, I call myself an amateur photographer. I'm not really that good. I'm going to be honest. I I own a film Instagram account, and I think that's where my film kind of inspiration comes from. Just loving it as a kid and just like evolving and I'm also a really big cinematographer <laughs> cinematographer which I think is really really interesting. Like I love to analyze in cinema so I think that's also where it derives from. Um but film photography is something I would always been interested in. I especially now I'm kinda getting into film cinematography, which is something really, really cool that I didn't know was like a new thing I was like occurring Um I think that's really really cool. That like I didn't even think that 35mm was, like, actually used for cinematography till recently, actually. which I think this is that's really cool, that, like I said. Um, but I'm going to be talking about film photography, uh, more specifically cin- film cinematography. Um, I, was, I got interested in actual, like, photography in the beginning of the quarter because when we were talking about the origins of it, and I think it was something, a topic that was super, super fascinating, especially with the daguerreotypes, that was something that intrigued me a lot. And that's where I kind of got the idea of going into it deeper and finding out how these, how they got gauges and how, um, like the exposure and how the shutters kind of all worked, especially with photography and cinematography, like I said, I think that's super, super interesting to like hear about and read more. Um, But basically, I just wanted to go over a basic overview of what film photography is kind of defined as. Um, Basically, according to Adobe, (laughs) we all love Adobe, but basically, according to Adobe, during film photography, a roll of light-sensitive film is placed within the camera. When the shutter of the camera is open, the film is exposed to light and an impression is captured. After exposure is made, the photographer rolls the film forward to prepare a fresh section of unexposed film for the next photo and some manual cameras you can roll the film backward and shoot over the same piece of film multiple times to create a double exposure when the roll has all been shot it's been it's removed from the camera and developed that's basically kind of like the overview of how film is made and developed as you guys know you kind of take the film to like the red room etc a double exposure is actually really something really interesting that has been kind of trendy lately but i've seen all over tiktok a lot of people do is that they'll um Shoot with one certain film and then reshoot again with that same exact film, which would kind of create like an overlay. So you'll have a double picture on one photo, which is like you you can. I know it's really popular with weddings, so people like take photo of like a specific wedding, and then they will like put it over with like a like it would be like a different event on top of that. So it'd be like the reception plus. Um, like the first dance on there it's really really cool it's kind of hard to describe in person but it's actually something i would love to experiment with but I'm kind of kind of nervous because i feel like it would not go well <laughs> with my skills um basically i'm gonna be going over like the origins of 35 mm first off basically uh, this is from a historical paper <laughs> by john belton I just kind of wanted to get like the overview of what 35 mm film is as a standard I think that's really really cool because i just want to know like how it derived and like what exactly is it <laughs> so basically in the developing of the kinematography in the kinetoscope um Thomas Edison's assistant WKL Dickinson established two of the most durable standards the motion picture industry has now. what basically means is that he developed the 35mm as a production ex- 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 exhibition format which remained the standard for format from 1889 through the present I think that's actually kind of cool like um literally this is a standard that's been known since today and it's it's still being used and with the rise of nostalgia that's even it's even becoming a bigger increase like just i've seen so much be so many people have like 35mm cameras and i feel like i've heard a lot about a lot of tv shows actually developing and using the specific format that he actually Belton actually mentions as a 4-3 aspect ratio which is actually really really cool um i think euphoria is actually one of the few shows that ex- exhibits like these this actual format especially with like the photography and i think that's really interesting to see that it's rising and coming again um especially because of nostalgia which you'll actually later see i'll actually go over a little bit later on about how nostalgia is becoming a bigger thing and It's really cool to see a lot of stuff that that were considered like older come back as like a new, like, innovative, trendy form. Basically, uh, just to continue off, uh, from a couple like a few points about the origins of 35mm, uh, basically the immediate adoption of the 35mm in 1896 by the Lumiere brothers. If, um, <laughs> if you remember. Basically, the Lumiere brothers are one of the few filmmakers of the early ages of cinema. And I think that is so, so cool. Like, literally. Um, I actually got the chance to see one of his works in person at LACMA. If you're really interested, I definitely recommend going to LACMA. They actually have a whole Paris um, cinema, like, cinema origins of cinema. They have an actual daguerreotype. I think that is so cool. I have a, a lot of photos of it. Um, I was being a little cinema nerd at LACMA. but basically they actually have his actual films on display in an actual theater it was really cool to like sit down and watch it but basically it, it the media adoption of the Lemire's brother Lemire's brother cinema was like 35 mm in 1896 solidified the position of it in the ninth international marketplace basically it rose up to it allowed more attention to be viewed on it and I think that's something really really cool basically um Continuing off, <laughs> this is going to be something really, really weird, but pretty sure known. Um, the porn industry actually gave rise. And <laughs> when I found this out, I was when I was research- researching this, I was looking for articles that kind of like talk about a film and its influence and what things influenced it. And the pornographic feature was one of them. This is something... I should have saw coming. I genuinely should have saw coming. Um, I have a giant respect for the pornographic industry now, because they, wow. Uh, (laughs) Basically, in this article, um, they talk a little bit more about it. It is written by, give me one sec. It is written by Eric Schaefer. And so it's from the Cinema Journey. Cinema Journal, uh, published by University of Texas of on behalf of the society of cinema and media studies basically um they talk about porn the pornographic feature in the porn the porn industry in the late 1960s and how this is, how the 16mm film technology basically dominated the 35mm like production basically um i chose this article because it's just really interesting how 35mm was considered for professionals and how the 16mm basically equipment and uh, format was literally considered as an amateur and how it dominated the 35mm and how it took a lot of influence from it as well and I think that's something really really interesting because they both are both gauges that essentially captured the same object and the porn industry actually revolutionized a lot of filmmaking and it offered a lot of different changes into how film, the film industry is structured as well. Um, one really interesting point that I saw actually, which was like further in the article was about an actual Supreme Court case. Um, I didn't think that like the Supreme Court would be actually establishing principles about the film industry. I think this is something really interesting. Um, I'm actually a pre, pre-law major, this is, it, this shocked me when I was reading this, but in 1964, SCOTUS' decision on Jacobellis versus Ohio established the principle that marital dealing with sex in a manner that advocates ideas or has literally scientific or artistic value or any other form of social importance could not be held obscene. Basically, all porn has to have a story or a narrative, that is why. Um, I'm not to assume that everybody who is a scientist has seen porn, but it's majority of pornographic features now have stories. Um, so it's really interesting to see that a Supreme court decision was the reason why pornographic features have stories. Um, it's amazing. But basically to start off um, in this article, it stated how in 19 1923 16 mm equip, equipment was standard was standardized and was marketed as an amateur gauge in conscious 35 mm gauge for professionals um, like I said that is something really interesting to think of. I always thought it 35 mm as something that like was universal um, kind of like the digital camera today how it's very very universal. I mean as you can tell like digital cameras have different um, like developments I feel like there's different like professional, <laughs> I think you feel like you get the, I do want to try and say that like there's the kind of like the smaller version of digital cameras and then there's these like big Kodak digital cameras. Um, My dad owned one, owns like a big Kodak one. So basically there's kind of like that. I That's what I figured. Then I saw, then I wrote this about the 16mm and I think that's really interesting to think. Um, I've never heard of the 16mm actually before reading this article. And finding out that it was actually made for pornogra- porn- pornographic features, this uh, but it's I it was something I was like really interested. In. I've always only ever heard of thirty five mm eight and super eight film, which I actually originally was gonna do my project on because I think a super eight film is so interesting. It's so pretty. um Maybe it's just like the photos I've seen, but it's so pretty. If you have, if you have time to look at a super eight film, definitely recommend it. Um, I, I'm i really interested in doing, um, what is it called, um, video, like video editing, and I edited one of my videos for my project, I think, in winter, like 2021, 20, 20, I believe, um, a couple years ago, which, uh, which is about coming-of-age story, so I edited it as a Super 8 film and that was super super fun. I wish I had the opportunity to actually see a Super 8 film in person but yeah that's the only other two films I've ever seen but I think 16, 16mm was really cool to find out that it was marketed as an amateur gauge. Um, basically uh, going into the article a little more I actually found out that uh, Beaver films which is a sort of genre of pornographic was beginning to move to the big screen in 1967 so these films were actually really really big in like movie theaters i think that is so weird to think of now because they were like so taboo they were in these like current ages they were um beaver films were kind of like advertised and so they emerged from the traditional home of art and arcade films shot on and exhibited with 16M equipment, and they featured completely nude models. And one interesting point that I found in the article was that they were really similar to art studies. And if you kind of compare the two um, in comparison to early art studies, such as like with models and how paintings were structured, um, especially, they resembled a lot of pornographic study, like pornographic films. And I think that is something really interesting. Especially like seeing as how I in the first few articles that we read in the beginning of the quarter about it was actually the very first article we read in the beginning of the quarter about um the structure and that axis of painting um it's you could definitely tell the the resemblance of photography with painting and it's something I caught on as being myself a painter it was something that I caught on very really 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 of how the structure of painting was it you could tell it resembled for it can tell that photography took look took after its structure and after its alignment and how with the vision the eye movement as well it took complete complete um uh structure from it all and I think that's something really really interesting to hear and like look at and then to read that um, porn, pornography took similarities from early art studies is something not strange nor new, and so basically continuing, um, it was influenced by the movie camera style documentary productions and amateur filmmaking, which is something that really intrigued me too, because I, um, I remember during our first couple lectures that. I have, um that this took after a lot of documentary styles or something that a lot of filmmakers were interested in during their early cinematography age. And I think something super, super interesting, I think that pornography also took after documentary productions in this spontane, spontaneous, spontaneous, I cannot take, speak today, sorry. Um, basically, and it's an unscripted scenes of sexual display. That is something really intriguing to think about. Especially with pornography, there's a lot of interesting points in this article that I'm. This is my most, I'm intrigued the most by this, uh basically. But to continue, it did they did use twenty six gauge, uh, especially for the naturaliz- naturalization of it in pornography as well, but sixteen mm was a lot more associated with, um, college film societies and film libraries, so it was more of the use of avant garde and independent film artists. Um actually, one interesting point that I found is that these films were actually um they were claimed to uh, like a lot of the filmmakers who were making these films were claimed to use as a statement and geared towards openness and so they appealed to the young and it was said to be an expression of their idealism so as you can tell from the years like nineteen sixties nineteen seventies that's kind of the age of rebellion, the age of um basically changing the standard of changing the idealistic way of like how a woman should be, how a society should be and it was a lot of revolution um it was a I mean the rise of women's um rights was rising in the 70s and I think this is something really interesting to think about that pornography was you know was becoming a statement it was being used as a statement and an expression so it wasn't, it's not something strange to think about that they read that a lot of young filmmakers, especially, and it's, it says specifically in the article, um, from that, it this specifically to place in San Francisco, which is, if you didn't know, San Francisco, um, is actually home to, uh, where a lot of people of the LGBT community geared towards. Um, so I think it's really interesting to see that it's, that's. Actually the birthplace and that where a lot of this filmmaking was happening because this is an area that was completely free and and um, was filled with those who wanted to cho who chose to be themselves and I think this is something like it's the act of rebellion against how society's visions should like how how society like a, an ex- active expression against society ex- uh, society I mean Uh, so basically, um, this is actually one quote that I found that is actually something really interesting that I love, um, basically, according to one of the models of the Commission of Obscenity, that was told, well, that was told to the Commission of Obscenity, uh, they state, the new Franker 26mm films mark the convergence of the revolution in film aesthetics and sexual revolution. Like, this is a point that I found really interesting because, like I was saying, um, this is kind of showing how this this rise of pornography is is a revolution in itself in film aesthetics and and just in society in general it is allowing for more freedom and sexuality I mean um the same thing with women I remember reading articles about women's women's rights and the right to have birth control and that was that itself is a revolution a a sex revolution and to think that um Equally pornography even stated in the article that it wasn't just theme, it was just a, wasn't women pornography, it was actually male pornography as well, completely nude men. Um, it's something revolutionary to hear that it, it wasn't just women, it was equally both men. And this is just itself like the film aesthetics from the traditional um, like basics with no sound, black and white. Um, simple movements, repeated simple dancing to a sound, audio revolution. Um, is really interesting to hear that to think that it's really you. You wouldn't be one to like think of this to be something really big. So that's something I found really interesting to think that. Um, this is huge in the film industry. Um, I also, I came into this, um, research with the idea that I was going to find more information about photography, and I actually found out about cinematography, and I think that's so cool, and I, I'm so glad I did. I have a greater appreciation for cinematography now. Um, I, I only, I only knew how cinematography was structured. I could only tell you about, like, the messages behind it, so now knowing how the actual cameras um, especially 35mm and how it's not just the basis for photography is really cool now that I can learn that itself, that <laughs> cinematography itself was revolutionized with 26mm, 16mm, 35mm. Um, I feel even more appreciative that I get the chance to do this too. Uh, basically, so continuing on, I found another article by that went by um, between the archive and the multiple of so 35mm. So basically, in this article, which is written by... Sorry, give me one sec. I have every single article popped up here. I'm like, fully set up. Uh, <laughs> basically, it's written by Mick, uh, Brian McCam. Uh He's from the Yale Film Study Center, and he's a member of both the FIAF Executive Committee and Programming and Access to Collections Commission. Um, basically he kind of talks about more of like a modern take on the 35mm and how it's actually becoming a rise so this article is something I one of the first few articles I found it was something that was really interesting to think of um, cinematography and it's basically in this post era film um and I think this is really really cool like I said like I think this is something that it's really interesting to think of as like, cause film photography has been around since like 1885 and 1886 and 1889. And I mean, it's been a standard and it has been the standard since till today. Um, and it's really it's like interesting to hear it come back because I feel like in the past couple 10, 20 years, we've been amazed with like digital technology and the rise of uh, virtual reality the rise of 3D forty so to hear that 35 mm programming has been coming back especially in the early like the late 2010s and the early 2020s which is we are literally in 2022 so that is something it's really 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 interesting to think of and to even think of that um i started film like my journey with film photography two two years ago i believe um, because I was super interested with disposables, and I saw disposables coming back. So this article intrigued me even more. <laughs> and um, it's really interesting to see society kind of revert back and to see nostalgia uh, make its rise back into our lives and to see these old standards of photography kind of, and I mean, and cinematography, come back into our lives um, the same same way that they kind of entered and it's interesting it's a different take to see us instead of moving forward we're reverting backward um as we kind of seen in the beginning of the quarter with photography kind of continuously change and interchange from the daguerreotype to um the first form of um vr the earliest form of vr to see it rise into cinema to see the first um animatronic be kind of made is really interesting to now see society kind of go back to a basis to the film photography that kind of was that began in 1889 um and we are in 2022 so that's really interesting that's so it's so interesting to see literally um, I think we can all say thanks to the to the internet for that. I um I've seen multiple studies be done about how the internet is a lot is a lot to um account is accountable for a lot that's happening in our society for why we are reverting back to the seventies, why we have a love for the eighties suddenly. Um I <laughs> recently just a day just like yesterday I saw this TikTok that was saying about how um it's feeling like the eighties. We have Top Gun in theaters, we have like a couple eighties songs trending. Um Stranger Things is filmed entirely in the late seventies, early eighties. Um and then we have and we have film photography being a thing again. We have disposables being everywhere. Um yeah, I have not seen a digital camera in like a while. I I don't I don't think I own a digital camera. Um, I think my only camera is a yeah, it is a thirty five mm. Wow, that's so strange to think of. Uh, but basically, uh, in this article, I feel like it got very off topic, but it's relative because I think it's really it's, uh, something that you kind of don't think of till you kind of sit down and realize, wow, we are technology is a lot to think of to see it's a reasoning why we did a lot of what we like what we are liking what's trending right now um but basically to go (laughs) go back to the article basically today a there is actually a sub a small subset of cinemas in the u.s that show 35mm films and there's no and those numbers are slowly increasing so in cities across the country a small number of repertory um and especially movie theaters are making an effort to find and screen 35mm prints. Uh, so one can even make the case that all film prints are uh, by definition can be described as archival. Basically, it's basically saying that like with these 35mm prints that are like been archived in the past couple years. So especially like during the 50s, 60s, you know, during those like early ages of cinema. Um, they're kind of making a rise again. And that's really interesting. I think I feel like this entire podcast I've been saying that's really interesting. This whole um, this whole research has been really interesting. I will definitely say that. Um, but basically, we are um. So basically, uh, by choosing to screen films on film at an age where the film is no longer the default medium, um, hybrid. This hybrid cinema becomes more of like an archive with emphasis placed on form as well as content. Basically, saying that like it's rare to see that these like film these film cinemas are actually making a rise and it's really cool to hear that these hybrid. it's actually becoming a hybrid thing i mean it's been increasing this article was released in 2018 um and like i said in 2021 2022 we had euphoria be filmed entirely 35mm and i think that's so cool i i'm amazed I I you can absolutely tell it's filmed in 35mm with with these cameras because they are just shot beautifully. I can talk about this so I can talk about this all day because of how the shooting and how like the alignment and the um just the those color streams and just the vibrancy of these of these prints is just amazing. Um <laughs> But, uh, basically, so the article makes one specific point about, um, if you are going to talk about the rise of film and talk, like, one main point about the rise of film photography is actually the Alamo Drafthouse, which is founded in Austin, Texas in 1977. Basically, uh, the Alamo Drafthouse is more, is kind of this, um, corporate, mainstream, um, movie theater that Expanded it, it was a small business that expanded to 30 cinemas, and they have 35mm capa- uh, capability. So they showcase actual 35mm films, um, as well as regular DCP films, such as like your basic kind of like IMAX type of thing. But their main thing is filming 35mm, and so in the article, he interviews actually one of the New Yorker. Uh, programmers, which helps with the um the film, their film industry, and like their whole advertising. And so his name is Jace Justin LaLiberty. Um, uh, so he basically makes the claim that format matters. To many of the cinema's customers, a thirty-five mm screen of Taxi Driver would sell out in comparison to a DC would get only fifteen people. That is an example he makes. In all retrospect, um, I completely agree with him. I think. A thirty-five mm screen of Taxi Driver would definitely sell out in comparison to a DCP. If I had the chance to watch Spider Man No Way Home in film photography in thirty-five mm, I would definitely have that opportunity. I think that is. It's something you can easily tell. In comparison to DCP, um, it's just the structure and the formatting of the cameras. Just a lot more detailed um like i said uh euphoria was filmed in 35mm i've re- as i repeated um in comparison to let's say um what is it to let's say um I'm trying to think of a, a tv show um wandavision uh, so, WandaVision is actually one of my favorite, the uh, favorite, favorite TV shows, especially with how the cinematography is. Um, I love it so much because they take a lot of reference from past years for talk cinematography and their formatting and their camera work, um, but basically in comparison to uh, Euphoria's 30, like 35mm film, you can definitely tell the difference, um, Euphoria euphoria has a lot more standardized it has the standard ratio um angling the just the lighting and the the colors is completely different in comparison to in comparison to wandavision wandavision does take a lot more reference to past years but it's it's something out of the you can easily tell it's it, it's just it's much nicer and it's something I would, I definitely would pay more to see if I have a chance. <laughs> um, basically, one interesting point that I've even been saying constantly is that uh, programming is very, that their programming is very genre-focused on a lot of 90s films. Um, like I said, 90s has been having an increase, and I think this is something the internet like like i said the internet is accountable for this um we are so focused i think there's also COVID has a thing to do with this um i think something about being stuck at home for um almost two years has allowed us to be kind of go back to the comfort days and i think that has a lot to do and the reason why we're going backwards in nostalgia Uh, we've continuously gone backwards but i think these past couple months especially year we've been constantly going backwards so it's really it's really it's really interesting to hear that their tactic is actually to focus on that to focus on the nostalgia and to drive these 80s and these deep cuts of 70s and the 90s is actually they are banking they're making money off of this and I think this is they have an incredible format of doing, of using 35mm to get to that. Um, I would definitely, definitely go watch for 90s films. Um, I would pay so much to go see She's All That or Clueless, definitely. I love those two films. My favorite, I am a big 90s person, as you can tell. <laughs> but basically, um, yeah, that's they're very jobless on that. Um, one interesting point that he does make is that going to the that he says going to the movies these days is weird. It's digital, so it's like you're at home. You can't see thirty five mm at home. Um, it's basically saying that thirty five mm is no longer the mainstream distribution. It it was um, like I said, thirty five mm was something very very mainstream, and then we kind of evolved. We evolved and grew into the digital age. We grew into this digital. Age of technology. It was the end of um, the mechanical age, like we stated before. It was the end of um, the end of the industrial period, and we entered a digital technological technological phase where we evolved very quickly, and um, we are still evolving very quickly. And with this thirty-five mm kind of it wasn't made as mainstream as it was. It's um, I think as much as a lot of people have an appreciation for thirty-five mm and film photography not a lot of people own actual film photography I'm grateful to have my own camera um it took me a while it it was a Christmas gift and it took a while to even find a couple that weren't over a thousand dollars um and what I've seen there's an increase simply because of there's an increase of photos being like produced like film photos uh because of our access to our technology to our phone, um, there's been the increasing creation of apps that can create a film photo. So we no longer have that authentic camera on ourselves. And it's kind of it's not sad to hear, but it's very different and it's it's a different way and it's a different evolution, but we no longer have that authentic authenticity of the thirty five MM so to see that this is actually a tactic and that like the um Alamo draft house is actually it did use defining whatever's left of 35 mm is really it's nice to hear that this is you know this is something that they're interested in um basically this is also one of my favorite key points that they actually make in the article is that in the face of a nearly complete transition from film to digital in the distribution realm a number of commercial and nonprofit cinemas are thriving to do the ability consistently screen film um so as i said as i mentioned covid covid definitely did change cinematography um we saw the loss of movie theaters we i think there was a lot of shutdowns of movie theaters as well um cinema wasn't really the same after that um nor do i think it will ever be the same i think like the access of streaming websites is something that has obliterated and has been increasing the downfall of some c- cinematography especially especially um digital films So, I think to see and to hear that film for film cinematography is actually saving cinemas is something really nice and comforting. And it's really good to hear that there is, there's been a benefit with these like rising trends. So, it's, it's a good thing to see nonprofit cinemas be thriving and, um, bringing back these, these, like, methods and these, like, traditional, traditional ways of film, so that's something really interesting, and I'm really, really, I'm hopeful that I might be able to see one soon if any local theaters are producing film photography, 35mm, so, (laughs) and, um, just, like, one point that I found also interesting is that defining art form of the last century has moved from the commonplace to a loose elusive in a matter of years and this is due to the dramatic change in technology um like i said technology has the dramatic change especially in the past 10 years has been accountable for so much um we i think we don't we don't stop and think about how it has changed i think we just continuously continuously like want further change like I mean, prime example is literally photography. Um, I think it's so weird to think that these basic, like, super eight films had now evolved to being on your phone. And we n- nobody stops to think about that. And so it's so strange. And But I am eternally grateful to see that it's 35mm kind of coming back it's such an interesting topic and it's interesting to see how it derived, how it derived from the 1889 and how it's, a, it's making its change and it's making its way into um, mainstream media again, especially with cinema, especially, especially with um, movie theaters. That's something really, really interesting to see, to hear. <laughs> um, as you can tell, I feel like I just, rambled on this entire this entire podcast um it's really i am a really i'm a big film enthusiast as you can definitely tell um i could definitely go on days um i actually made a website so please check it out i will be including my link into in this email structure Uh, basically just so you can look into some of my photography, um, I take, talk, take photographs with my phone, especially with my, um, my camera, I've been developing a little bit more. It's not my, it's not my forte yet. I'm an amateur, like I said, but, uh, disposables are kind of more of my thing. I feel like they're a lot more portable. Also, that's one thing to note that it's so strange to think that, um, it's coming to rise again, like it's trendy, you know, and this is a standard and it's, it's interesting to see that the origins from Thomas Edison's assistant has established literally a rising increase till 2022. And I, I I feel like it's still going to continue and we might even further backtrack. And I think that is something I'm excited and thrilled to see. And I I want to explore more into photography as a mode and see how far this industry goes and see how far film photography can go. So thank you everyone for listening. Um, I hope I wasn't too boring. (laughs) I hope this was an interesting podcast. Um, I will see you everybody soon. Good night.